Hello, folks. My name is Spencer George, and you're listening to The Good Folk Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to the wonderful humans of band Palmyra, joining me in conversation today. Established in the Shenandoah Valley, Palmyra's set explores the fusion of traditional folk string instruments, three-part harmonies, and foot percussion. The trio captures the collective spirit of three Virginia natives, Teddy, he, him, Manawa, he, him, and Sasha, they, them, often described as a distant cousin of the progressive folk band Punch Brothers, mixed with elements of Oliver Wood or the Avid Brothers. Palmyra's songs are intimate and contemplative, with arrangements that allow them to create the illusion of a full, larger-than-three ensemble. The trio's sound is a nod to Appalachia and Midwestern Americana, apparent through their stirring craftsmanship and dedication to a folk-driven, innovative experience throughout each live performance. In 2022, Palmyra made their Newport Folk Festival debut, renamed the Floyd Fest 2022 On the Rise winner, and performed over 150 tour dates on acclaimed stages up and down the East Coast, including a support tour with national headlining act Illiterate Light. Currently, they are gearing up for a new round of shows in the new year and settling into their home base of Richmond, Virginia. This conversation touches on many things close to my own heart, concepts of home, what it means to call a place home, finding your own unique sound, and embracing both the fear and joy of sharing who you are with the world. Their music and lyrics speak to experiences I have often felt alone in and create a new sound that weaves the traditional in with something new, something special. I can't quite put a name to what it is, but I know that hearing this type of music when I was younger could have changed my relationship to home and what I thought it looked like to be from the South. As most great musicians have the ability to do, they gave me something I didn't know I needed until I heard it. I can't wait to follow as they continue to pave a new path in the folk world, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. new cover on there but um <laughs> well I'm super excited to have y'all here um I really love your music and the minute I heard it I was like I have to reach out to them and get them on here because it just aligns so much with like what I do and what good folk does I think where I would love to start is if each of you just kind of want to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about the band how you met how you got started and where you are now and whoever wants to jump in can go uh my name's Manawa. um I play upright bass in the band. What are y'all uh, thinking? <laughs> my name, I think, is Teddy. Um, I play guitar and banjo and sing. And my name is Sasha, and I play uh, mandolin and guitar. And we all write songs together, and uh, we call ourselves Palmyra. And yeah, that's that's us. Uh, for those for those listening, these two, Teddy and Manawa, both use. <laughs> Uh, the he's and the hymns and and me over here, Sasha, I use the they's and the thems. Um, <laughs> we once had a, a boss together who, yeah. who said, I heard you use the they's and the thems. <laughs> so that's what I do. We, uh, the three of us all met in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia in a, a little town called Harrisonburg. Um, and that's where we started writing music together. Um, we were all going to school there. We're all from different parts of Virginia and uh, met there in Harrisonburg um, and then have been pals and have lived in a bunch of different places now together. And uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's how we met. That would be the origin story. We're, uh, we're living in Richmond, Virginia now. Uh, we're super new to the Richmond scene, but um, we have a bunch of friends here from like JMU and from high school that are here and, and play music there's a great like diy scene here so we're we're stoked to be getting into the richmond community we were we were in floyd um the past 12 months and so we just moved to richmond just moments ago um a couple minutes ago yeah <laughs> walked in this room and we arrived <laughs> 
<laughs> Both places have really incredible music scenes. I'm in Durham, so I'm just south of y'all in Richmond. Um, but I have a lot of friends who are in Richmond and tell me constantly, they're like, you've got to get up there and start checking out the music scene. How has the experience been going from kind of small town to Floyd is another small town, but it has this history of being very artsy, lots of cultural festivals happening, obviously huge music scene. And then Richmond, what has that experience been like going from kind of small town to very urban? Um, well, so we, uh, we've been touring full time for the last year and a half. And so the, the time that we spent in Floyd, the year we spent in Floyd, we were only there a little bit of a time. Um, and so I, I feel like we didn't get to experience all of what Floyd was. We really loved it, um, for its, its culture, especially around old time music. Um, and we love the folks there, um, and, and met a bunch of lovely people. But I wouldn't say that we got the like the whole small village town in Virginia experience. Um, now we're in Richmond where we, we have a bunch of friends already and we're really glad to be here. And it's a place that when we're not on the road, which is where we spend most of our time, um, we get to like come back and, you know, see friends, um, which isn't isn't uh, an experience we really got to have employed because we weren't there long enough to get to know anyone. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You asked about kind of the, like the different music scenes between the two places. Um, so the house in Floyd uh, we were living at was on um, a bunch of acreage and there were cows in the backyard. And like you'd, you know, you'd wake up and you go on the back porch and you'd play your instrument and kind of observe the beautiful rural setting. And then you'd go downtown or the, the one stoplight in Floyd, um, you'd go to the general store where everyone would meet. So you can call that downtown country store, the country store. Yes. Uh, and you'd, you'd play that, you know, that song that you had written that morning, looking at the beautiful pastoral surroundings. Um, and that was just like a shared experience that everyone was having and kind of relating to. And then you come here to Richmond and it's like, I met this person once who was in a rural area and here's this song about this person who experienced this thing. It's like, it's almost like one step removed um, which is also a really cool perspective. There's a really interesting thing with Southern cities that have become these like large urban developments that are very much surrounded by smaller rural communities. You don't see that happen as much in other places. I know North Carolina, which is where I am, makes a lot of headlines for having these like major urban developments that are just surrounded by total rural counties, 78 of North Carolina's, I think a hundred counties are rural and Virginia is a bit of a similar story, but you do see the ways in which these two, I don't want to call them scenes, but the two kind of different locations come up against each other and work together in really cool ways. And I, I think your music does that in that you're taking, I'm a folklorist. So you're taking these very kind of traditional folk instruments and melodies, and then really urbanizing them through lyrics and through sounds and what you're doing with them. And I would love to backtrack a little bit and hear more about how the band actually started and what the origins was of, you know, you all met, but what was the idea of let's make a band and, and how have you gotten to kind of where you are today with it? Um, so it started, we were all kind of playing in each other's solo projects. Um, I had a solo project where, I, you know, singer songwriter stuff. Um, Sasha had a hip hop, has a hip hop project that we were all playing for. Um, and we were like planning tours before COVID in like 2019, planning 2020 tours, um, touring under my name and under Sasha's name. And eventually we just started writing together in a different genre than either of our musics. And it felt like we had to create something like bigger than just our name. So we made Palmyra and started writing tunes under that, that name. Um, we were doing an interview yesterday and kind of we were talking about our influences um, and Manuel brought up his, his classical influence. Sasha and I kind of had a similar upbringing with listening to music like the Abbott brothers, um, just like folk music that we still draw so much from, but Manuel kind of brings a different edge with his like classical bow chops on the upright bass, um, which kind of brings in these melodies that, Sasha and I, I think, wouldn't think of on our own, mm -hmm. um, just based on what we grew up listening to. Um, yeah. yeah. Our name uh, came from a, a song by a band we all really love called Houndmouth, 
They've got a tune called Palmyra. That's one of uh, one of our favorites. We actually, when we're doing our, our longer like brewery gigs where we've got to play covers too, um, we we play that tune. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you if that's where it came from because I know that song in that band. No I love them. And when I Googled oh, Palmyra, that's what came up. And I was like, I wonder if that's the connection. Um, and I, I lo- I'm glad you brought up the Ava Brothers. Yeah, the Ava Brothers are one of my favorite bands of all time. They've been like, hu- I mean, North Carolina for sure, um, which is where I grew yeah. up. And they've been like hugely influential in my own work. And, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen the documentary they did um, about filming their album or recording their album. And then they filmed all about it working with um out in Malibu I'm blanking on the name <laughs> yeah yeah Rick Rubin. and they had a quote which you you all might be able to relate to but I remember this like fundamentally changed my perspective on life because they were like at some point we went from trying to be rock musicians and fit in with this other scene to realizing that we couldn't run from who we were and from being southern so we might as well lean into that and make that part of our sound and they said that's when they started to really experience success is that something that you feel like you can relate to at all? Yeah, definitely. I think that, uh, especially the claw hammer banjo, um, being a traditional Appalachian instrument, um, and specifically Southern Appalachia, uh, that has been, uh, kind of a turning point, I think for us creatively, um, in that a lot of the music we're writing right now kind of features claw hammer banjo. Um, and it has this, I guess like it, it just like, it, it feels like it's connecting with not only the music we're making, but us personally in a way that we, yeah, we, we had electronic instruments or, you know, we were doing all these things to kind of get away. And then when we stepped back, and really kind of explored um, Appalachia, uh, it's felt right. I don't... Yeah, I think all of our music is really deeply influenced by the sounds of Appalachia. I would also say that I, I learned really recently that I grew up in, in Roanoke, Virginia, which is which calls itself Appalachia. But I learned recently that, that culturally, uh, it's it's not Appalachia, which it's funny that I, I grew up there and spent so much time there and called myself that, but um and not i uh anyway um i i think that the the sound of appalachia is something that we all really treasure um and have learned so much from and the especially the culture of old time music we've we've all put a lot of hours into learning old time and going to jams over the last few years um i think we still sit on the outskirts of that a little bit but it definitely like really really influences the music that we make yeah, I think you can see that for sure. And um, Sasha, it's funny. I have a similar experience. My family's all in Mount Airy, which is technically part of Appalachia, but these days is so modern that it feels wrong to use that term, which again contributes to some of these stereotypes, both in music and culturally, that people have that Appalachia is this kind of backwards rural place where everyone's just like living out on a farm playing the banjo, right? And um, I think what's cool, as we have more musicians and artists and filmmakers and photographers and writers, I'm a writer, but people who are coming out and they're telling the stories of their experiences there. And you're realizing it's not this kind of monolith of a region. And this idea that everything is so traditional, especially in the world of folklore, is really backwards in a way. So it's good to (laughs) kind of make these new connections and bring things out. And I, I think you're really doing that. One question that I have for you is, how do you feel that Sasha, you touched on this a little bit, and Teddy, you brought up your influences, but did the places that you're from influence your music more so than just this idea that like, oh, we want to go into folklore and like folk music and modernize that? How do you kind of bring in some of your own experiences, if you do it all? Um, Definitely, I would say all of our music is written from our own experience. Um, There's certainly like... um, maybe some general uh, folklore, like idioms or motifs in some of our songs, um, especially like form wise. Uh, but lyrically, they're all coming from our, our experience. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that all, all of the music we make is kind of us observing our surroundings. Um, there's a song on, 
uh, that Teddy should speak to uh, on our first record, Shenand- or our only released music, Shenandoah, um, called Rolling Hills, that's very pastoral. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the music we write has to do with Virginia, um, especially over the last year. We've been on the road so much, and we've just it's been a big adjustment period and we've been missing home a lot. Um, so a lot of the tunes we're writing are, are reminiscent of, of our time spent in Virginia and growing up here and just how special it is to us. Yeah. I think, I think also a, a big thing for all of us is we all learned pretty much everything that we know about music while we were living mm-hmm. in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, we all, we all went to college together at James Madison in, in Harrisonburg. Um, I, I grew up in Roanoke, which has a really, really good arts education. Um, and I, I got really, really lucky to be introduced to a lot of different music um, by really good local teachers. Um, and so I think I think something that's just important to to all of us and really influential of our, our sound is just the fact that we were taught by a bunch of Virginians how to play music um, and are that too. So... Yeah, like you're sticking to what you know in a way, which is really great. Um, One question that I have is it comes up in a lot of conversations. And I know growing up in the South, I experienced this and many other people I've talked to experienced this. Did you feel that in order to make it as an artist, you couldn't do it in Virginia, that there was some kind of pressure to go and take on this other identity or go somewhere else or, you know, with writing, making it is like moving to New York with music. It's like going to LA. Is that a pressure that you felt? And what was that like? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think like what you just said with every art space thing, everyone thinks you have to go somewhere else, no matter where you are. Um, and that place for us is was Nashville. Like everyone says, you have to go to Nashville to make it in, especially what we do, which is like, you know, Americana folk music. Um, and we did, after we graduated school, we moved up to Boston um, just because we thought we had to be in a bigger music scene to make connections and um, to play shows. And um it was the pandemic, so we couldn't do any of that, really. Um, so we spent a lot of that year in Boston just writing. Um, and that's kind of going back to like the old time and bluegrass stuff. We didn't really grow up playing old time or bluegrass. But when we were in Boston, that music kind of reminded us of home just because we were around it a lot when we were younger. Um, so that's how we started playing that music. But yeah, for sure. I think there is a pressure to move somewhere bigger than where you are to make it. Um, but we found that you definitely don't need to do that. We moved back to Floyd, which is the smallest town any of us have ever lived in, um, and toured from there for most of this last year. And it's been the craziest year of my life, for sure. I mean, yeah. it's been an amazing year of music. And uh, yeah, we didn't move to Nashville um, yeah. together. We got some some advice from our friends uh, in a band called The Literate Light out of Harrisonburg, Virginia, um, that like we should just they were like, if you want to if you want to do this band thing, what we did was we just toured all the time. So you all should do that and it will work. Um, and so it hasn't it hasn't really mattered where we are, where we live. We're glad that we all live in the same city now. Um, but I mean, all, I think all of everything that we have been able to accomplish in the last two years is because we've been on the road almost all of that time. So I want to talk about the tour because you've mentioned this a few times and it sounds amazing. How did that get started and where did you go? You know, it was a year. That's a very long tour to be on the road. Um, And really it seems like you've kind of reached this new level as musicians through this experience of going on tour. And I would love to know, what that experience was like. Yeah. Um, we, uh, how we do, uh, touring is we play 21 days out of the month. Um, so we're constantly traveling. Um, and we travel from, uh, kind of up and down the East coast. Um, the farthest North we've gone is Maine, uh, and then the farthest west is like 
Toronto, Nashville. So like this side of the Mississippi. Um, and then as far South as like kind of Southern Georgia. Um, and yeah, we just each month, um, we're hitting a different part of the East coast basically. Um, so it'll be Southeast and then it'll be Northeast and mid Atlantic. Um, and we do it all ourselves. Um, Last month, we were touring with this other band that Sasha mentioned, Illiterate Light, opening up for them at different clubs along the East Coast. Um, but typically, it's just the three of us. Um, and yeah, it's it's just us in our minivan and just kind of playing anywhere and everywhere, trying to say yes to every opportunity. It kind of sounds like living the dream. And um, I, I think about that a lot with creative practice of sometimes you just have to say yes and just go and do it and see what connections you make and the people you meet and go from there. One thing I'm interested in is, oh, do you want to respond? Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I was, I was just going to say in the in the car the other day, Mono and I were just talking about how like what what we do in Palmyra is like, or what we have done. Uh, and continue to do is just like commit fully to um, this, this art form and this band um, and this project that we're all really excited about and the thing that we do. Um, And I think it's, it's really fulfilling for all of us to just like, this is what we do. We're, we're Palmyra. Our friends ask all the time, like where we work. Uh, I meet people who are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm in a band. And they're like, what do you mean? What else do you do? <laughs> but this is, this is all we do. And I think we're all really, uh, really content to be doing that, even though it's, it's, it's hard sometimes. So you're all doing this full, you're doing music full time. All three of you have been since May of 2021. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> it is. That's a leap to take. Thank you. Thank it's a hard you. one. Um, I have like three jobs on top of this, so I'm sure it feels really amazing. When you think about where you want to go as a band, what is like your dream for Palmyra? Or your dream day, your dream day in the life? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that you were just talking about that like, I think we are living the dream Mm -hmm. every day. And it's hard to remind yourself of that just because like, some days can be so hard on the road, but like, I mean, like what you just said, we we're doing this for a living. Um, and that's pretty crazy. Uh, but I mean, we have some, some big goals. Yeah, you sure. want the, um, I think you'd be in the fantasy. Yeah. We got, we got a lot of fantasies for sure. Um, but we're, we're living the dream right now. Yeah. Well, tell me, what are some of these big One goals? to play it. <laughs> To play at Newport Folk Fest, that's like the biggest dream ever. And, and because of our friends in Illiterate Light, we got to do that this summer. Um, we got to go up there and, and play for a bunch of people. It was It's just such a cool festival and like one of the biggest for, for folk music. And we're endlessly grateful to Illiterate Light for, for giving us that opportunity. But that was like for all of us was like a, a dream moment for sure. I think uh, it's it's easy to pinpoint like the fantasy, like performances or like, you know, a headlining tour or playing at Red Rocks, those kind of thing. But maybe like a step past that, I think for Palmyra is um, kind of having like making a musical contribution to like folk music at large that felt like we, we had our own unique voice um, and that people could look back on and say like, Oh, that was, that said something about the genre. Um, so that's kind of what we're working towards, I guess. Creating a legacy. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I, I definitely think you're doing it. One thing, the first time I listened to your music, I had kind of had a thought that I see the Ava Brothers influence and I do want to touch on other influences a little bit, but I'd never really heard anything like it. And there was something really affirming about listening to these lyrics that represent an experience that I feel like I've had in the South in the style of the music I grew up on. And there aren't a lot of people doing that. I'm thinking really specifically here, like Noah Kahan's newest album, um, which is all about his Northern attitude and being raised on Little Light and how so many people are coming out like on TikTok and saying they relate to it so deeply. And I feel like y'all are doing that for the South a little bit in a way of... um 
the lyrics specifically that come to mind, the first song I listened to of y'all's was Park Bench. And the first stanza says, flip a coin with your strange hands, not quite woman, not quite man. It might land somewhere in the middle or somewhere out of reach. And if I ever learn my name, I'll carve it in a park bench and I'll stare. So the letters don't look like anything. I'll stare just like you stare with judgment and uncertainty. There's so much here. It's, it's beautiful. There's so many things you're bringing in and so many different topics that you're raising. And then it's rooted in this very like traditional folk sound in a way. I want to talk a little bit more about these lyrics and about writing these experiences that you've had that are true and honest and what that is like and who does that and how you go about that. Because I, I just think it's so beautiful and um, it's really amazing to hear like, yes, these are lyrics that people I know here and that I, I might hear myself can really see ourselves in and um, understand that and connect to it, but also have that kind of nostalgic experience of like, this sounds like the music I grew up on. And that's rare. That's hard to find. So I want to thank y'all first for doing that. And then I want to <laughs> hear more about the lyrics. Well, thank you for that. Um, that that means a lot. Uh, that tune, Park Bench, is one that um, I wrote, and I, I it's I mean it's it's about being a, a queer person, um, and my my experiences with that, and and uh, and how my identity relates to just my my position in the world whether that is in um you know the south at large whether that's in richmond um in boston in floyd wherever we are on the road um one thing i'm really thankful for with that tune and not to depart too far from your question so stop me whenever but one thing i'm really thankful for with that tune is that we get to play it every, every night just about in a different city for uh, whether the crowd is listening or not, there's like a, something really, really powerful in being able to sing a song about being queer and a folk song at that, um, you know, anywhere in, in rural gay Georgia, which is uh, the name of the town is gay. I don't know that their um, politics are particularly <laughs> left um, or in, you know, Northern Maine or like wherever, like, I, I don't know that that's just something I'm, I'm really thankful for with, with that tune. And, and a lot of the tunes we play, that's not the only one that, I mean, I think a lot of the tunes that, that I start or the verses that I write are, are just about me, whether that is, is about me as a, a queer person or not. I think that, that being queer is really central um, to my, identity as a whole so I, I think that comes out in those tunes thank you so much that's a beautiful response I completely agree and I think a lot about representation um a lot of my work has been in like rural queer studies and I think all the time that I feel like I identify as just like generally queer and I think I would have come out years earlier if I had had that kind of representation or any way to see myself in the stories and the places I'm from right um one thing that I talk about all the time, I think I bring it up every podcast episode, the South has the largest queer population of anywhere in the country. It's 35% compared to 18% in the Northeast. But because storytelling doesn't often value those stories, and most of the stories you see of being a queer person in the South or in a rural community involve leaving and going somewhere else, it becomes something that people think is impossible. Um, there's a TikTok I saw recently that went viral. And it was a very Southern man with a very Southern accent talking about his non-binary partner. And so many people commented and they were like, hearing you talk about this in your accent made me realize all the bias that I have. And I think you bring that up a little bit with these lyrics of, you know, you're staring at me with judgment, um, even if people don't realize they're having judgment. How have you had different experiences performing that song in different communities? Um, have you felt like it's been an, an affirming thing to perform or has it been something that people have had different reactions to? I think in, uh, in a, in a performance, it's a little hard to see until afterwards how people are engaging with the song. Um, and also it's really, really hard to tell if people are actually listening to lyrics when they're seeing you live. Um, I've definitely, we've definitely had people talk to us at shows afterwards about, what that song means to them. And that is a really beautiful thing because I didn't 
write it to mean something to someone else. I wrote it to, to speak on my own feelings. Um, and so that is a really surreal and weird and lovely feeling to have someone say that they saw themselves in a song. Um, and I, I, I'm glad that it, it can, that tune Park Bench in particular can, can do that to people. Um, and yeah, I think, I think honestly the, the reception that has been the most like where, where the, the place that I've been able to see people interact with it the most is online. And it's been really cool to see people say like, Oh, I listened to this song and it like changed my perspective or I listened to, I found this song through like this podcast or whatever. And like, it really, like, I didn't know I needed to hear it or just like, it, it's so the internet can be so weird and negative and bad, but like with what I've experienced with park bench online, it's just like people, the people that have found it and have said something about it have had like lovely moments of, of awareness around it. So that, that is, is really awesome. And I'm really happy about it. Always a good thing. I do want to go back to some of these lyrics that you're talking about. Cause I think it's, such a beautiful thing that you were saying with the power of the internet, like bringing new audiences to you. There's so much debate when you're an artist of like, is the internet a good thing? Is the internet a bad thing? But I think like it enables us to do this project. It enables so many bands and musicians to reach new audiences. When you're talking about people finding you on the internet, do people tell you how they find you? How, like, how is this song getting to all these different people? Um, our, our friend Lauren, actually, this, this is a weird one. I bring this one up because it, it, uh, it was a surprise, but with, with park bench, our, uh, our friend Lauren was, was pitching the song to some people for us. And she pitched it to this podcast, um, called welcome to night Vale. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it, it has like oh, yeah. this whole lore. Podcast. Yeah. So it was, so park bench was on the, the weather channel within the, the universe of, of, um, Night Vale. Night Vale. Um, which like, I'm not super familiar with, but like for the next like month or two after that, we had people come into like a show here and there who were like, Oh, I heard you on, on Night Vale. Like someone came to a show in DC that like we hadn't met before. Um, which is a super weird, surreal experience, especially cause like it's an awesome podcast, but it's not one that like the three of us are particularly familiar with. So that was a, a strange strange experience i would say um yeah a, a, a lot of it is just like luck we're fortunate to have people that believe in our music sharing our tunes with other people um the spotify algorithm has probably pushed park bench in some people's faces um but yeah i don't really know where uh where people find it well but where do they interact where do you see their comments um facebook there's some, um, I mean, like all, all the, all the social medias, um, we've posted it on TikTok before and, you know, TikTok is all, every, it seems like anyone that interacts with you there and we're not that we use it a lot or are very good at it, but like everyone that interacts with you there seems like a stranger. Um, and so I'm, there were definitely people there that I'm thinking about an Instagram story, um, that it was like, it was park bench and someone had text on it. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's happened a couple times. Oh, someone made fan art once for Park Bench. Um, that was that was kind of crazy. It wasn't someone I knew. Um, sorry if I'm not if I'm not uh, speaking <laughs> well to your question. I'm, I'm, I'm. You're absolutely. I'm like this is fascinating. Just hearing about all the different ways in which I'm not a musician, so I have no idea how this works. But hearing how one song can just reach all these different audiences. I'm like, I want a physical map of just the lines being drawn as it spreads out. That would probably be a good be a good exercise for us to do because we don't really know where it goes either. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, like w one thing we we keep our eye on like the where our streams are coming from, and mostly just on Spotify. Um, it seems like that's where most of our our listeners are. Um, and like pretty recently. Um, pretty recently park bench like became the song that had the most streams um and it was not on the top like even when we put it out it was probably number four or five and just stayed there for a really long time and then um 
our two tunes, uh, Saratoga and Microwave Dinner, were both at the top for forever. And then Park Bench just passed it like a, a month ago or something. And it's the tune that at shows, I feel like I see the most people that are singing along with it. They know the words to it, which is really cool. Um, shout out the, the 7% non-binary listeners we got. Is that 7? Uh, maybe it's not that high. I thought it was. No, it is. Uh, did yeah, you track it, that? it tells Did you, you your, your listener's gender, um, which is it is interesting. And I'm surprised that, 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 that Spotify knows that many people's gender. Like, I'd be surprised if Spotify knew who I identified as. But I don't know. That's what it says. It says 7% non-binary listeners. Um, that actually kind of answers my next question, which was I was going to ask you if you feel that people are connecting with this song because they see themselves in it and therefore like queer people in the South, when you talk about you're tracking kind of where most of your listeners are coming from, like where are most of your listeners coming from? Uh, a lot. I mean, all over. Yeah. Oh, geographically, I would say Virginia. Um, I mean, we've toured so much up and down the East coast that I think we have little pockets in a couple different places, but the majority of people I would say are in Virginia a lot in Atlanta. Yeah. A lot of listeners there. We're, I would say that like at shows you can like, it's kind of a really interesting demographic spread at a Palmyra show. Um, Cause there's kind of like an older folk audience. Um, but there's also like a lot of our peers um, that a lot are, you know, typical, like, you know, very, like they're not, socially normal i guess compared to like the older folk audience and it's like really visible um at our shows which is really cool i think because it's like oh like you know all the like the people that are like us are like right in front of us and then yeah. here's this sea of 50 year olds behind them <laughs> who we love and are deeply thankful for are the older older listeners as well. You gotta um, put the disclaimer in there, right? But it's like, there's like a lot of, like we, we got we got punks at our shows. We got queer people at our shows. Um, and like with our kind of music, like you were saying, like it, that's not, you know, that's not necessarily the norm. Um, and so we're, like we love that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's so the community cool. we exist in. So um, we're glad that, you know, people like us are interacting with our music. It definitely like also gives us some peace of mind. Cause I think there's like, we don't necessarily feel that. And it's super evident in our music and the lyrics specifically that we fit in with like the stereotypical folk scene, especially like a Southern Appalachian scene. Um, and like living in Floyd, there was a lot of like kind of anxiety around if like we would be accepted um, by these people. And so it's, it's nice to see in our audiences that it's like, are the people that are responding to this music are also kind of taking a risk in that they're like, Hey, we're going to go watch this band that we feel passionately about, but it's probably at a venue that we wouldn't typically go to. Or, um, you know, like, I know there's going to be an audience there that I don't always feel that I'm a part of. But for us, it's, like, really accepting because it's like, oh, thank God you all are here. Like, you're making us feel better. Yeah. It's bridging these two communities um, that might not exist otherwise, which is a really cool thing in art to do because it speaks to what you said at the very beginning of this kind of multiplicity of sounds of finding people who might like classical, who might like folk, who might be really interested in like modern queer musicians and bringing that together in one thing is it's part of what makes art so powerful. Right. Um, but I completely feel you on that can also be really challenging in certain spaces because on the one hand you want to be representation and as an artist you often want to speak your truth and your experience and on the other hand when you're doing this work in art or community organizing or any kind of radical work in the south and in southern appalachia you also have to protect your own safety right and make sure that you're not putting yourself in harm's way and it's striking that balance which is really a difficult thing to do yeah that makes me think of a there's a, an old time jam that we went to in Southwest Virginia, vaguely, um, that uh, I was I was talking to the, the person that leads the jam and he was saying, um, 
And like an old time jam for anyone listening who maybe isn't super familiar with old time music, old time is like, it's what came before bluegrass. Um, and it's, it's a really rich tradition of mostly instrumental music, um, that is, has been passed down through generations. Um, and yeah, the, the jams normally like, is like older white men mostly. Um, and, uh, even though that's not where the music comes from necessarily. Um, but I, I was at a jam in, in Southwest Virginia and, and the guy who leads it was like, the only thing that we talk about here, like if you're going to talk to your neighbor, the person sitting next to you at this jam playing banjo or whatever, like the only thing we talk about here is music. We don't talk about politics because music is the one thing that we all agree on. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that music can be that um, and can like, like for me as like a, a young queer person, like I can go to a, a jam that like politically, it, you know, like that, that like maybe necessarily isn't like a super safe environment um, as far as like the people around me's beliefs. Um, but I know that I can go to that jam and like, this is a language that I speak uh, through music and it's really like, it's respected in the room that all of us are using that same language to talk to each other, even though we're not talking about like politics or identity. Um, I don't know. Oh, that idea of a common language through art is so great and, and so pertinent. Do you feel that when you show up in those spaces, even if you're just using music and you're not talking about identity, do you feel accepted in those spaces because you're using music as a common language with which to interact with each other? Yeah. I think so. I mean, there, there's definitely like spaces that we have gone into touring, like not necessarily jams, but like there's definitely been spaces we've gone into where, you know, uh, there are, there's like aspects of like toning down for, for me, there's like i I'm going to, I'm going to tone down what I'm, what I'm projecting here so that, um, so that I feel more comfortable in this space. And so that I know that, you know, uh, I am not being perceived as like the only queer person in a room or whatever, because that can be really weird and alienating. So there's definitely a level of that on the road um, and in venues um, and at jams. But I think like overall doing what we do, we get to be, uh, we get to like create the atmosphere in a room with our, our sets. And I, I think for the most part, that's a really, I, I, I think with the three of us, it's a really, really safe atmosphere. And, and because the thing in a room, if people are coming to see us, that everyone has in common is that they like folk music or our music specifically. Like if everyone is agreeing on that one thing, then like the identity of each person in the room um, isn't the focus of conversation. And, and, and so isn't like there, there won't be hostility around it, especially if the music is about like celebrating yourself, which I think a lot of our music is not just, yeah. not just park bench. That's such a great way to put it. And you put into words so much of what I feel like I think about all the time. Another band that comes to mind is Rainbow Kitten Surprise, who I'm sure you all know, um, which is one of my favorite bands. They're a North Carolina band that also speak very openly about queerness and radical self-love and all of these different topics in their music, which these days has less of like a traditional folklore band. But when they started out, did have quite a bit of that. And, you know, we're playing kind of the house show scene in Western North Carolina. And it's amazing to see the growth in the music industry and also like folk music and country music. I grew up listening to a lot of country music and then became an adult who was like, I'm too cool for that. I won't identify as Southern. I listen to everything but country, right? Which is something so many people say because there's this association and the stereotype with these two traditions of music that there's a certain type of person who enjoys a lot of like country or folk music. When you're thinking about the traditions of this genre and the things that like you want to bring into your music, the sounds and the people you look up to and the influences, what are some of the traditions that you would like to keep? And what are some of the ones that you think maybe we should do away with that? You know, we're, we're doing this in a different way than it's been done before. And, and how do we want that to be? What's kind of this new version that you're writing? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, I think like new, like musically we're trying to, maybe unsaid but like we want to keep 
Sorry, there's so many layers here. I have to think through how I want to say it. Um, I know. It, it's a hard question. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I mentioned claw hammer banjo earlier, and that's kind of like a a, a meditative drony sound that maybe isn't super present in a lot of commercial or mainstream music right now. I would say that our music isn't as, like, there's not as many, like, huge events like so much of music right now is like big exciting moments and it's it's kind of more of a, a i said drone earlier but it's more of a feeling than in your face um and i think that's something that we try to preserve yeah I do that and that comes like straight from from old time music like at an old time gym they'll just play a tune for the same tune that maybe has two parts an a and a b and they'll play that a and b over you know, 20 times in a row and it'll last 10 or 15 minutes and then they'll move on to the next tune. And I think what's so cool about that, like you were saying, is it like, it just creates an atmosphere that everyone is sitting in and, and agreeing. And I think, I think so much of what, I think all the Palmyra is, is just a melting pot of what the three of us think musically and how the three of us speak musically. And then the things that we all agree that we like, like we're taking so many things from so many different, artists that we love and like musical cultures and genres that we love and we're just like how do we put that into the stuff that we make like how do we and then how does it sound like it's from all three of our voices um and then how does that sound like one voice and i think all of it is kind of unsaid too yeah, like definitely. like you said what what do we want to kind of exclude from what we're making and i think that just is a natural like weeding out process where you know we just don't listen to the stuff that uh we don't want to include and it doesn't make its way into our music um and the same thing with things we do want to include um and i think another thing along with clawhammer banjo is bowed upright bass i mean you don't see that often at all and i think it's such a unique texture that that we bring to this music that we're making that is is influenced by old time and bluegrass but is definitely um i would like to think our our own thing yeah definitely we sorry this i could keep going um the three of us are just big music consumers like we just really enjoy listening to music too and so i think a lot of like like people at shows will tell us that like wow there's so many different genres going on here and i don't know how to describe it and xyz and i think it's such a not active choice for us. It's just because we have really eclectic tastes. Um, and like, like in the car, we will be listening to hip hop one day. And then, then the next day we're listening to like a really bad punk band from New Jersey. And like, and yeah, I, we grew up in Appalachia and like that is the core of the music we're making specifically to the instruments we're playing. Like you can't get away from a lot of those motifs because they sit so well on our instruments, but like we're listening to a lot of different things. And so it's finding its way inside of the music. It comes up a lot in the conversations we have on this podcast of the power of collaborative art and creating in community it's always really fun to talk to musicians because so many of y'all in bands, this is a common theme of your, each person's bringing a different style. And what does that sound like when it comes together? And I love that you brought up, you can hear all these different influences that you have as a band, but also that each of you have. I think a lot as a writer, which is a very solitary act, what would writing created in like total collaboration look like the same way that a band does it? When you do this with songwriting, is it one person writing each song? Are you all writing them together? What is that process like? Um, we've done it a bunch of different ways. I would say the most common is one of us, we're all songwriters in, in the group. One of us brings a tune uh, to the group and then it becomes kind of a Palmyra tune in the arrangement of it. Um, but there are cases of tunes where like, you know, Sasha will write a verse and then hand it off to Manawa and he'll finish it or vice versa, you know? So, yeah, it definitely becomes a Palmyra tune when we all touch it, though. Before, it it feels like we were just in a, a, a cabin a couple of days ago outside Asheville, um, just working on writing and arranging. We were working on some of the tunes that Sasha wrote um, and just, like, 
figuring out how to make them Palmyra tunes because when you write them alone, generally it's just you with an acoustic guitar. So it takes some like some working and rearranging, which we really enjoy, and it's a, a big challenge for us. Um, but just making them Palmyra tunes together. What is it that makes it specifically a Palmyra tune? I think that we all have intention going into it. Like the the arrangements are all a conversation between the three of us. Um, I think like like Teddy was just talking about like if one of us brings a tune to the group, like there's a there's like a a letting go that we have all agreed upon now, uh, which can be really hard and frustrating, but it's like so great of like I'm gonna bring this tune and like this is the idea that I have and like we're going to keep the core of that idea, but we're going to, we're going to try to explore every other possibility that the three of us can come up with to like make uh, an arrangement that feels like it came from all three of us. And I think that Palmyra has a sound, but I think that that sound is just like the, the, the thing when all three of our voices are, are singing together. Yeah. There's gotta be buy buy-in from all three of us fully. Like, uh, if the moment one of us kind of says, like, ah, it's your tune, like, and takes themselves out of the, like, not decision-making, but, like, they've uninvested in the direction of the song is when it becomes less of a Palmyra tune. We all have to feel really passionately about where the song's going. Yeah, right, and it's, it's, like, it's really hard to do that. Like, and, and it's it's really hard to, like, I've, I've been bringing tunes that like I write on guitar and I get most used to them. Like I get used to the sound of me singing them and playing them by myself. And then like when I, I, I just brought a tune to the, to the group like that. And I, it's like, there has to be a really active uh, letting go on the songwriters part. And then like, we all are, have to agree on like, this final product is going to be the thing that the three of us made together, not the thing that came from one of us to start with. Mm, yeah. I think it really speaks to what art made in like true community and true collaboration looks like, which is not each of you saying, Hey, I wrote this song. Do you like it? Let's play it. But like really working together in that process, which is, it is hard. I'm, I'm getting my whole master's degree in how to do that and what collaborative art looks like. That's like the core of my yeah. thesis. Yeah. So I, I understand how difficult it is what you're saying. And, and to maintain the friendship throughout that too is really amazing um, and probably makes it a little bit easier, I would guess. Yeah, it goes through ups and downs for sure. Like I, this past week, we had a period of we got, you know, a bunch done and it felt really good. Um, and then there's also stretches where we're playing shows every day together and we're surrounded like, you know, we, each other's company is so normal to each other, uh, to us, but, but we go through periods where we don't work on new music at all because it's just, it takes a huge emotional investment. Um, yeah. And you know, like everyone, not, it's not always the right time. <laughs> There's a quote that I come back to a lot, which is living is writing too, which is, and it applies to all art forms, but sometimes living and getting the experience is then what informs your art. And if you're constantly in production mode, then you don't get the time to live. Do you have a favorite like experience or project or show that you've worked on that informs the art that you make or any experience that you feel like has been particularly influential on your art? Yeah, I think, I mean, the one project we have out now called Shenandoah, which is seven of our tunes, the first thing that um the first like full project we put out um and it was just us in our in our house in our living room in floyd with a couple mics just recording the tunes that we had worked on over the past couple years and i think that's a really important work for us because it um it's like the most authentic version of us at the time um we didn't, you know, spruce it up. We didn't add more tracks than we needed. We limited ourselves to a certain amount of tracks. And I think it's just a really authentic uh, version of Palmyra and represents like that being the first thing that we put out feels really good because it feels so authentic. Yeah, I think everything that we're working on now, um, we have a video coming out um, mid 
November um, of a, a, a tune of ours called Medicine that we recorded in Mount Solon, Virginia, um, in a cabin. Um, and and then we have another album that we recorded in uh, June of this summer, or the, this last June that's going to come out in the spring. And I think what I what both of those things have in common is that they're like really representative moments of where Palmyra is at just like, just like Shenandoah is. It's like, we're, we're always growing and we're really like, I love that we've had these moments where we can just like sit down and be like, this is a snapshot of us today. And like our sound or like where we wanted to take our sound today. The, the project we're putting out in spring has like a drummer and a fiddler and a pedal steel player. And was like, you know, produced and engineered by, by a friend of ours. And, um, it's, it's a different thing, but it was like, uh, it was, this is what Palmyra sounds like with this kind of collaboration. I don't know. I think we're, we're all really proud of all the stuff that we do. Um, and it's because we're just like trying to really authentically capture what, you know, where we're at. Speaking to the, the songwriting, you asked, um, if there's like an experience that has been really informative for our art and I think it's less a particular experience and more like a feeling that we've all have gotten really accustomed to over the last 18 months of traveling full-time and that's like we're all pretty like anxious people and uh being uncomfortable affects us a lot and I think that all of our songs like have a large amount of kind of that just trying to like to fit in 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 all of them i would say that that's a common theme no matter who wrote the lyrics on the song it's it's a lot of kind of personal emotional stuff like that especially since touring over the yeah. last 18 months like searching for comfort <laughs> yeah always, always just looking for for comfort which is a very hard thing for us to find on the road. And looking for home within it, whether that's a physical place or like looking for it within yourself. And I think comfort and home feel really connected, at least for me. Yeah, totally. I seriously could talk to y'all for hours. Um, and I'm really excited to hear your new music. I think it sounds amazing. <laughs> we asked all of our podcast guests um, the same question and I didn't give you any warning for this. So feel free to take it any way you would like or take a minute to think about it. But our final question for you is what do you believe in? Whether that's for yourself, for the band, for the world. Should we each go for it? What do you think? Yeah, maybe that's a good move. Well, we, we collectively just oh, we all say it at the same time. Yeah, we've had groups take it each way, you know, usually individually, but you can go collective. I'm cool with that. No, let's do individual. I feel like we'll all build off each other. Um, I, I, I know that one thing that's really important to all of us and that like we wouldn't be able to do what we do today without really good, sorry, this, I mean, I don't know if I'm going the right direction with this, but we wouldn't be able to do what we do today without really good teachers. I'm really thankful mm -hmm. for, for my music education um, and teachers that weren't music teachers, but just like for, I'm, I'm really thankful to have mentors um, and like, like people that give us advice along the way. Um, Teddy's dad is one of those people for all of us. And, um, also, uh, I really believe in Palmyra. I think we all really, oh, you no, 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 I, oh, sorry. I just mean like we all really have, have bought into this thing that we do and invested fully in it. And I know that that, I mean, we, we have to, in order to be able to continue doing it. And I know that we all do, um, yeah, so I I was going to say that, that I really believe in Teddy and Sasha. I know that we're all at the same place and that they have my best interests in mind and I have theirs and that, like, I couldn't do any of this by myself and I couldn't do this with just one of them and I need both of them fully and I I believe in us, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um... I don't know how to how to word it, but I guess I I believe in like the kindness of people. Like we on the road, we um I mean we wouldn't have been able to do anything we've done over the past year and a half if not for just people offering up their homes and uh you know, cooking us breakfast and 
listening to our music and tipping us, you know, two bucks uh, at a brewery. Um, so just like people supporting the arts, I guess, is is a really powerful thing. I think it's really cool. We wouldn't be able to do it without that, obviously. So, yeah, it it really does take a village, and I mean, yeah, the, the people that that help us, we love, and I mean, everything that we do is built on the the backs of someone. Mm-hmm. You know, like the music that we make, we couldn't make without the people that have inspired us. Um, or like the trailblazers in our genre. Like there are so many badass queer folk musicians out there that like, uh, I feel like give me a lot of like, uh, you know, inspire me a lot to be able to like talk to or to put out something that says, Hey, I'm queer. Um, and I mean, I think that's like for all of our music. A lot of our music is about like how bad our mental health is. <laughs> that, that we we were so lucky that we feel comfortable enough to share that, and it's because other people have done that. Yeah, we're only gonna get more emboldened in our takes. I think our songs will just continue to become more and more uh, unashamedly how we're feeling because we've had such incredible support and we're so gracious to everyone who's you know been okay with us talking about some not okay stuff you know and it's it's helped us a lot yeah i wonder what our answer would be if you asked us in in a year or a year (laughs) um but yeah and we're thankful to you we'll have to do a follow-up in a year when you're big and famous even more famous you know and then we'll hear what you have to say I think those are great answers. And um, it's funny you bring it up. It's, it comes up in almost every time we ask this question and it's really core. The name Good Folk came from a line that I used to always say, which is that I just really do believe people are good. And especially in like rural and Southern areas where it feels really radical to say that and to say that I understand stereotypes and bias and judgment and hatred and that all of these things are there. But at the end of the day, I really, in order to survive and exist here, and, and have a life like I really do have to believe that people are good and that's hard to do and it's radical um and I love that you're speaking to it in your music and your life and everything you said here and thank you so much for being here truly thank, thank you. you so much for having us yeah it's been a pleasure yeah for anyone who wants to follow everything and learn about tour dates listen to your music come to shows what's the best way to get on board um we have a website palmyratheband.com um but i would say we're most active yeah, it's beautiful by the way it's like one of the best band websites i've oh, ever nice. seen <laughs> it's functional and it's really nice we made it ourselves um yeah palmyratheband.com and our instagram is probably where we're most active which is at palmyratheband we will link to all of those and thank you all so much thank you to everyone listening wherever you are have a good night good day be good. Flip a coin with your strange hands. Not quite woman, not quite man. It might land somewhere in the middle or somewhere out of reach. And if I ever learn my name, I'll carve it in a park bench and I'll stare Till the letters don't look like anything I'll stare Just like you stare With judgment and uncertainty All this park bench is a sacred place Though it's far from Eden's garden It protects me from intrusive thoughts And eyes made prone to wander And if you ever find me here You best leave me to my thinking Or I'll be going, 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 gone I'll be traveling on I'll be traveling Cast a spell with crooked teeth Not quite dull and not quite sweet It might look something like a photo Out of frame and out of focus And if I ever learn my name I'll carve it in a dogwood And 
fraud is mine could never fail. How much you cared, so much you cared. Lord, this dogwood is a sacred tree, though it's far from Satan's garden. It holds me like my mother, and it smells just like my father. And if you ever find me here, well. You best leave me to my thinking, or I'll be going, 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 gone. I'll be traveling on. I'll be traveling. 